I'm originally from Iran, and in Iran, similar to several other countries actually, but surveillance is a huge thing, and not having privacy is pretty accepted. But at the same time, you want to have privacy, you understand the value of it, but it's not actually there, and you can't really do much because not everyone knows that it is an important factor. You have to stand up for it, and you don't really have that much time. You have more important things to do than just really fighting for your privacy in Iran. But for me, it was always important missing, I guess, component, especially as a female student, as a woman in Iran. It was it was a huge thing. Your home is getting smarter all the time, full of smart gadgets. Anyway, in fact, most people listening probably have trouble keeping internet-connected devices out of their homes. It's hard to buy a dumb TV now, for example, one that doesn't watch you while you are watching it. But most people know precious little about what these smart TVs, what all these smart gadgets, are learning about us and what happens to all that data. Welcome back to Debugger in 10, where we try to make sense of a complex tech issue for you in about 10 minutes. I'm your host, Bob Sullivan. Oh, details on smart gadget data collection might be out there somewhere, buried on some website in a 27-page privacy policy. In other words, invisible to most people. Duke University professor Pardis Imami Naini is hoping to change that. She's working on a proposal to add nutrition-like labels to gadgets so the privacy trade-offs we are all making all the time are easier to understand at a glance. She's here today to explain the effort and explain why this issue matters so much to her. I started our conversation by asking her to remind us what people mean when they say Internet of Things. So Internet of Things devices are basically these digital devices that are connected to the internet. And basically uh, they have this power of collecting data. They have sensors and they can collect data. They can analyze data either on the device or they can send to, for example, cloud to do some data analysis and they do some data processing. And then based on that, they would basically uh, do a functionality uh, that the device is supposed to do. And uh, basically any of these devices that are now connected, we, can, we now call them connected devices, smart devices, or Internet of Things devices. And give me a couple of examples of what kind of devices these are. Yeah, so basically whatever devices we had before, now let's think about them being connected. For example, we now have smart speakers. For example, Alexa devices. Uh, we have smart thermostats. We have smart refrigerators, smart microwave, toothbrush. So all of these devices that we traditionally had them not being connected and offline, now they're connected. So my father loves asking Alexa what the temperature is outside, for example. But why does this seemingly harmless, maybe even fun gadget, what kind of risks do they pose? Yeah, so they collect a lot of data from users and in many cases, users are not aware of such data collection. And it's not just about the types of data that is being collected, but it's also about how this data is being used, who will have access to this data, for how long the data will be retained for, is data being sold to third parties. There are 
several data practices that users are not informed when they start interacting with these devices. And that is basically one of the several harms of such devices. And this is basically in addition to all these security risks of these devices, they're now connected to the internet. So basically, and the attacker can actually use these devices, for example, in a uh, as a bot, in a botnet attack, and basically use these devices to get access to the network of users and basically be able to steal data from their other devices, from their computers. So these devices, because many of them do not have a good security properties, they do not use a good encryption, sometimes users do not update them, or some of them do not receive security updates at all. And because of that, they're weak devices. And so it is basically the opportunity for attackers to use these devices to get into the network of the victim. So there's criminal hackers, there's companies who might be watching us, there might be interpersonal relationship conflicts that are exacerbated by these devices, but we've we've invited them in. Some of them are really cheap. Exactly. Amazon's dot device can be 20, 30 bucks. What is your solution for this kind of issue? Yeah. So we are actively doing research on this topic, but uh, just in terms of maybe kind of the, the first important challenge here is, can we somehow inform consumers about the privacy and security practices of these devices at the time of purchase so that they are better able to basically purchase devices that are less risky, or at least they're more aware of the risk that they are introducing to their home. And for that, we designed a usable and informative security and privacy nutrition label for smart devices, which is, as the name suggests, it is similar to a nutrition label, but now for security and privacy and for smart home devices. There we basically talk about security properties of the device, including whether the device receives security updates, and uh, what is kind of the frequency? Is it automatic update? Is that manual update? We talk about the authentication mechanism of the device. Is it password as a two-factor authentication? And then we also talk about several privacy and data practices, including what data the device collects, how long it will retain the data, who will have access to the collected data, and many more factors. So just like a bottle of cereal tells me how much vitamin C and vitamin D is in the cereal, this label tells me how long the data that I surrender to this machine is stored by the company, right? It looks just like one of those nutrition labels? It is very similar. So it is uh, a layered label. It has two layers. The primary is this concise format of the label, which could basically be attached and uh, printed and attached to the uh, package of the smart device. Then there's a QR code and URL that will direct you to the secondary layer, which is this more detailed, basically, version of the label. So on the primary layer, we try to put information that consumers understand, and they're also more actionable. And not just kind of like a, a nutrition-like label that you may not be able to know what you can do about it, but for example, we have data sharing, but for example, related to data sharing, maybe users have this option to opt out uh, from data sharing, or for example, they can delete their data. So we, we kind of surface the options, the controls that users have on the primary layer. But then if you are curious, if you have more expertise, 
you can see the secondary layer, which has all the information on the primary layer, but a lot more advanced information as well. So these, these two layers that you're talking about, I think that's probably the answer to the next question I had planned to ask you, which is many people say, you know, why even bother with privacy policies? Because no one reads them. Consumers just don't care. Yeah. Is this your response to that? <laughs> yeah. So to some extent, we didn't actually want this label to be a long, basically detailed label full of jargon, technical terms, similar to what privacy policy is. Uh, we actually wanted people to be informed. That was the goal of this work, that we want to build something to inform consumers' purchase decision-making. And so we realized that maybe one layer is actually not enough to put all this information there. So we decided to design this basically two-layer format label and we conducted uh, consumer studies and we found that users actually really liked the idea of a layered label. It was more useful to them. They were saying that most of the time we don't really want to see all this information. Maybe a few of them we understand, we care about, and that is what we have on the primary layer. Okay, you keep saying we, so can you tell me uh, what group is that's working on this project with you? Yeah, yeah. So we basically, I initiated this project at Carnegie Mellon University, I think it was second or third year of my PhD. We of my advisors, uh, Lori Craner and Yuvraj Agarwal, both of them are faculty in uh, computer science at Carnegie Mellon University. And so we basically initiated this work at the time at Scilab, which is a security organization institute at Carnegie Mellon. And we are still working on that, although I'm basically now moved to Duke. I'm still working with uh, my advisors at CMU, and I'm also a research consultant at Consumer Reports to basically help them design such a label in the U.S. and basically study how such a label could be effective for consumers. Consumer Reports, I'm sure, is an important partner in this. It's a name that consumers recognize and trust. But what kind of buy-in have you received from industry groups? What kind of adoption or, or interest is there in adding these labels? Yeah, so we haven't started directly engaging with uh, manufacturers yet. It is in the process. It is in the pipeline. So we first want to basically have a prototype label, which is different than the academic, basically, paper uh, type of label, something that we believe industry would adopt. So that is something that I'm working on with Consumer Reports, which is probably a shorter version of this label, more concise. But then after that, we would like to have some focus groups with industry players, with startups, smart device companies, and maybe larger companies as well and see basically how much of this information they're willing to disclose. So right now, we don't really know which companies are more willing to, to do so and who is basically the first company to have that. But we are hopeful that we would see this and just maybe having this analogy of the IoT security and privacy label, we have app labels, we have app privacy labels that uh, it is currently on uh, Apple Store and Android Store. So we believe that in the U.S., this idea of nutrition-like privacy label, it is accepted to some extent. So we think that maybe this idea would also be accepted for smart devices. I know that you've been working in privacy for a long time, and I've seen you speak in other places where you explain why privacy is, is a really, really a personal and intense matter for you. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah, so... 
I'm originally from Iran. And I was there till I was, I believe, 22 years old. So for uh, the majority of my life, I was actually living in Iran. And in Iran, similar to several other countries, actually, but surveillance is a huge thing. And not having privacy is pretty accepted. But at the same time, you want to have privacy, you understand the value of it, but it's not actually there. And you can't really do much because not everyone knows that it is an important factor. You have to stand up for it. And you don't really have that much time. You, you have more important things to do than just really fighting for your privacy in Iran. But for me, it was all this important missing, I guess, component, especially as a, a female student, as a woman uh, in Iran. It was, it was a huge thing. And when I moved here, when I realized that it is a field by itself, people care about privacy as a research field. I can get my PhD on this field. Then I realized that this is really important. I can actually do research. I can help people. I can inform their practices. So then I got really even more passionate about just doing more in this field so that maybe I can also help people in Iran as well and also other cultures who not having privacy is a very cultural and accepted factor. I think a lot of people are going to be excited about your work in increasing not just privacy itself, but awareness around the topic. Pardis, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you like Debugger, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Debugger is brought to you by the Duke University Sanford School of Public Policy. Thanks to Debugger's executive producers, David Hoffman and Ken Rogerson, both professors at the Sanford School. And thanks to audio engineer Julio Gonzalez. For Debugger, I'm Bob Sullivan. Thank you.